Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. I'm elongating the we because it's practically game week. Mike Gundy had his press conference on Thursday. We are recording this on Friday. I am joined, as always, by Colby Powell. Colby, we made it. No more conference realignment talk. No more talking about, you know, projections and all these things. The season is finally here. Yeah, everybody's waiting for Monday to talk about game week. It's game week. We're six days out, Carson. We are within a week of being in Boone Pickens Stadium. I'm going to be able to go to the first game, taking our daughter. It's going to be a blast. We just got her little mega orange headphones in the mail. Uh, just came in so that we can put the big uh, big headphones on her out there in the West End Zone. I Man, I'm fired up. I love that. It is kind of a bummer it's on a Thursday. I mean. Yeah, the Thursday's a little weird. I will say, though, the benefit to, it, to opening the season every year on a Thursday or Friday is that you kind of just get to chill out on Saturday and watch a bunch of football, and I'm kind of in for that. That's true. I just – you don't get the same type of atmosphere on game day on a weekday as you do on a Saturday with tailgating and fans just trying to make it in from work. But, hey, it's all right. It gives them a, a platform for a lot more people to see their game, so that's, that's good for the brand. They got a logo too. Uh, before we get into a lot of things, we're going to talk about the uh, Mike Gundy 15 – that OSU Max put out the top 15 wins of Mike Gundy's tenure at Oklahoma State. We're obviously going to break down the season, win-loss record, newcomers of the year, players of the year, uh, and pick the pick the schedule for Oklahoma State. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. I'm sure things are flying off the shelves now that the season is finally here. So be sure to stop by Chris's on Thursday when you're going down to uh, Boone Pickens Stadium. Stop by there, get you the latest gear. You're going to want to look fresh and there's a lot of options this year for blackouts, orange outs, stripe the stadium. So you're going to want to have options. And Chris is, certainly has that. And they're going to be with us every step of the way this season. And what a season it could be. Uh, Colby, I guess let's start with the Mike Gundy 15. A lot of people have been talking about this on social media. It's on the OSU Max uh, subscription that you can, you can purchase through Oklahoma State. I thought it's an interesting list, Colby. I have, a, I have some pretty strong disagreements on here. Uh, I made several changes. I actually wrote down on a sheet of paper. I wanted to have it in front of me. So I wrote down on the left side, OSU Max's top 15. And then on the right side, I started ranking mine. And Carson, I only got to eight. I ranked one through eight. And then nine through 15, I was like, man, these are fairly interchangeable. I didn't feel passionately enough about nine to, through 15 to take the time to extrapolate that out. Also, I only used the 15 they had. So I didn't, I didn't have time to go back into the uh, Oklahoma State history charts and see if they missed any in their top 15. But what would your, your biggest disagreements be? Number one, I completely disagree with, but I, I'll, I ranked them all 15 of my own and I, I added some that weren't on the list. So let me, let's, let's go in reverse order. And then when we get to nine, you can, you can chime in with yours. Okay. I'm curious uh, about the ones that you put in that weren't on the list. Cause I just, uh, with, with the work and the baby, I wanted to go through, didn't have time. So I'm curious which ones were totally missed out of the 15. Yep. Uh, number 15 is the I'm a man, I'm 40 game, 2007 Texas Tech. And it. it's not because of the speech. It's not because of everything that happened afterwards. It was one of the greatest games ever played in Boone Pickens Stadium, you know, a total shootout. Uh, but for me, it's, it, you know, Mike Gundy did beat Texas Tech in 2005 in a much lower scoring affair, but you had you had Crabtree, you had Harrell, you had Mike Leach. They were really rolling at this point. And I thought that was probably the, the biggest win to that point in Mike Gundy's career. And it was also a proof that he could beat Mike Leach uh, specifically. And uh, that, that to me was a, a landmark game that wasn't on the list. No, that was a huge one, Carson. I was in Boone Pickens Stadium for that game. And I remember, what would I have been at the time? 14 or 15 probably. And that was... An unbelievable game. The Pettigrew catch and run late. Uh, yeah, that one definitely should have been on there. That's a good, uh, a good admission. Yeah, I think it was uh, Holland made the interception. His first name escapes me. My memory's fading on me as I get older. But yeah, it's been fifteen years. 
Yeah. John Holland. I think it's John Holland. Uh, I'm sure someone will tweet me and remind me of his first name, but he made a big interception to end that game. And uh, th- these two were so close. I-, I put it next 14. I had 2005 against Texas Tech. Mike Gundy beat Mike Leach 24 to 17. That was for similar reasons. I just think that was probably one of the only good wins of Mike Gundy's first season in 2005. It was a rough season. He had to kick off a bunch of players and they were adjusting to a new offense. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And that was coming, you know, that's the beginning of the Mike Gundy era. So that one was definitely influential. So you've already got two. So you're kicking out two of OSU Max's top 15 at least. Yeah, I don't have West Virginia on there anywhere. I, I just don't think that they – um not it, to me, a lot of it depends on the season and what it does for that particular season. It, a lot of it has to do with where the team they beat is ranked, their perception nationally, those things. And West Virginia just is one of the honorable mentions. I, I didn't put them on there. So they're, they're not on the list at all. I don't know if you have them on there or not. But my 13th game, and this wasn't on my initial list, and the more I thought about it, uh, the more important it became in my mind, is the 2011 Kansas State game at home. You know, we all remember 2011, right? They win the Big 12, they beat OU, all those things. But all of that might not have happened if Justin Blackman doesn't score a late touchdown there. I mean, Kansas State gave them everything they wanted in Stillwater. That was one of the classic back-and-forth shootout games I'll always remember in Stillwater. But I think people kind of forget as time's gone on how dire that game looked just in the final minutes. And that that obviously spurred them on to their their first Big 12 championship. Yeah, that is a good, good one to have on the list, Carson. That was my freshman year at Oklahoma State. And I can make an argument that the Kansas State was actually the most exciting, nerve-wracking home game of that season. I mean, it, it felt like the season was about to come undone in that Kansas State game. Tyler Lockett was going nuts, uh, and they had a chance to tie it up and potentially go for a two-point conversion and win it at the end. That was a great game. That's a good one to have on the list. Uh, if I were to redo this, I did one through eight. I might even have that one as high as nine because just may, maybe it's just nostalgia being in person there my freshman year. That was also the uh, Herb Street earthquake game, I believe. Oh, it was. Adding to the lure, that was, uh, that was the earthquake game. I, I forgot to include that on my, my reasoning. That, that, that meme is still going strong. Uh, let's see here. That game wasn't on the list, was it? Uh, that game was not on the list. Nope. I was not on OSU Max's list. Okay, 20. Uh, so where am I at here? I'm on number 12. Uh, I'm going with 2016 Texas because if, if people remember this game coming to Stillwater, it felt like the tide was turning for Texas. They were figuring things out uh, under Charlie Strong. They actually came to Stillwater favored over Oklahoma State despite their quagmire of, of Charlie Strong and the hiring of him and where Texas had been and OSU and Mason Rudolph and James Washington just laid the smack down on the first series. Washington goes in and scores. They win 49 to 31. And I think that was further validation for where the two programs were heading. You know, there was all this buzz about Texas. They were favored in Stillwater and Mike Gundy and James Washington and Mason Rudolph just, just absolutely torched them in Stillwater. That's a good one. I knew that there had to be some Texas ones missing here because there was only one Texas game on uh, OSU Max's list, and they had it at 15. That was the 2018 game, which was a great game. But Oklahoma State's had a ton of success in Austin. There had to be more on there, and that's a good one. Yeah, I, I have a lot of Texas on here. So that's another reason I, I strongly disagree with the list. Uh, look no further than 2018 Texas in Stillwater. Uh, the Mike Herman, Mike Gundy confrontation game where Gundy did the are you not entertained pose. Oh, uh, yeah. Corn Tom dogs. Herman. Corn dogs finest moment. I mean, that was just, and I think that game, it really reestablished Mike Gundy as a good big game head coach. It was another uh, ranked win, another top 10 win. He's, he's really climbed the charts in top 10 wins because Texas was ranked pretty high in that game. And uh, just another example of, of Mike Gundy being a great head coach and winning on his home field with, with corn dog. And it was a great game. Uh, yeah. By the way, Taylor Cornelius honorary Heisman, I think. For that game, just for that game, one honorary Heisman. He gets one twelfth of a Heisman. Just that game. Just that <laughs> game. He gets one twelfth of a Heisman. He gets either the hand or maybe the foot that's up in the air. He gets just the foot. Okay, I, I'm willing to give that to him because he was great in that game and, and really played awesome. Uh, that was also the Tylen Wallace game. Tylen really, I thought 
solidified his case as a, as a Blitnikoff uh, winner in, in that game, or at least a finalist. So number 10, we're getting closer to your list. Uh, I have 2009 Georgia in Stillwater. First game ever played in Boone Pickens Stadium as it was re reestablished. Uh, the Des Bryant Sports Illustrated cover. That really kind of put OSU on the national map because everyone watched that game. Everyone remembers Des scoring and really a program in Georgia that had really OSU didn't look like they belonged on the same field when they went down to Athens. I was at that game in 2007 and they, they were kind of deer in headlights and they're playing against no Sean Marino and those guys and, and Matt Stafford. And they just, that looked like a program that they didn't even need to be on the same field with. And that totally flipped in 2009. That was uh, AJ green was on that Georgia team too, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Yeah. That was an unbelievable Georgia team. If Oklahoma state to win that game, I remember that desk catch. I believe that was coming right into our lap in the West end zone. I'm pretty sure that was on our end. Uh, that was a fun one. That one would definitely crack my top 10. That was actually in the Gallagher-Iba end, at least the, the was diving it? one that was on Sports Illustrated. I'm okay. I, for some reason, I thought that was coming in the West end zone. Maybe I, I, there were a lot of Des Bryant highlights. I'm probably thinking of something different. Yeah, he had a lot of them. Uh, okay, well now we're, we're getting closer to your list. I have, let's see here, number 10. I have 2015 TCU in Stillwater. People might remember this as the game where, where James Washington was just catching 80-yard touchdowns the entire game. They won 49-29. One of the, the games that led Oklahoma State to a 10-0 start in 2015 when none of us saw it coming. The 2014 season was one of Mike's worst, one of OSU's worst, uh, considering the success he had had coming off 2011. And they really just really kind of reestablished that TCU you're you're in a different conference now and and this is what Oklahoma State can do and I thought that was a, a huge game at home that you have to win to keep the momentum going and they certainly did well and also it was kind of uh, a reassurance that the next guy at quarterback is here this is him this yes. is the guy we're gonna have success while this guy's here so yeah that was a big one um that one probably I, I would probably have nine ten that one and then maybe the uh Kansas State game that we mentioned earlier, the 2011 Kansas State game. I can't remember. I can't believe that one slipped my mind. That was, uh, yeah, that was a great football game. Huge, yeah. Who do you got at nine? Uh, and not, so I, I, I stopped at eight. Eight was okay. where I got really passionate. Eight in, I'm very passionate about, but give me your ninth. Well, that was my ninth, so I'm, I'm to eight. So you can go ahead and give me your, your eighth best one. All right, my eighth, I have got 2014 OU. I thought about having a little bit higher, but I didn't want to go all Bedlam super high on the list. Five and six going into that game. You're a repunt away from losing and going to five and seven. Carson, I think there's a very real chance that if you don't win that game, Mike Gundy is not the head coach to start 2015 at Oklahoma State. It was a program-changing punt return from Tyreek Hill. I just, uh, yeah, I remember where I was watching that game with my buddies in Stillwater. That was, that's some nostalgia, too, because that was a fun moment. So 2014 OU, I've got it number eight. That's a pretty egregious omission by me. It's not in my top 15. And if I were to redo it right now, I probably would put it in there. I think for the reasons you mentioned, it also kept Mike Gundy's bowl streak alive, uh, getting to a bowl game. We saw what that did for Mason Rudolph against Washington. Uh, that was, that was huge. And I think it doesn't hold as high esteem for me just because OU that's the worst season they've had in 20 years. I mean, they were eight and four. Uh, playing Cody Thomas, P. Ryan gets hurt. They beat kind of a shell of, of OU football. But for the reasons you mentioned, it, it completely changed Mike Gundy's career because you're right. I mean, I remember being on the field getting video for, for Channel 5 at the time before the game, and I remember shooting video of Mike Gundy specifically in case he was let go. Like, that's how tenuous it was at that period of time. It's hard to think about that now, but that was certainly the case, and that was a monumental win. And really got OSU back on, on, on the proper footing. So I think that's a great, great uh, pick by you and one that I, I clearly need to put in my list. I'd probably knock out 2005 Tech at 14, maybe put it, put it there, maybe above some of those Texas wins that I've already mentioned. Yeah, I like that. So, it's easy to admit some whenever we're looking at 17 years of wins. Yeah, number eight for me is 2011 Texas A&M and College Station. And – we knew OSU was coming off a, a great 2010 season, winning the Alamo Bowl. Uh, they're they're getting they're getting beat pretty bad at halftime of that game. I mean, Brian Tannehill runs for like a 50, 60 yard run touchdown at quarterback. Uh, the 2011 season was kind of teetering right then and there at halftime, and Munkin 
this is one of Todd Munkin's greatest games calling plays. Him and Whedon just decided, look, we can't run the ball right now. We're just going to throw it sideways to the receivers and block. And they just did it over and over and over. And then, of course, Justin Blackman really emerged. I mean, he already he already won a Blitnikoff, but he really took over that game. Even he scored a touchdown. He he fumbled through the back of the end zone. They could have had even more padding in that game. But that game, much like I believe the TCU game helped OSU go undefeated for their first 10 games in 2015. I think that game is when, because I remember the celebrations. The OSU was celebrating like they had just won the Big 12 because they knew, okay, we made it through this game. We're about to go on a big run, and they did. Yeah, that game meant a ton. I'm not going to elaborate too much until I get to it on my list. So I'll jump up to number seven. I'll go 08 Missouri. 08 Missouri, I feel like, was very much Mike Gundy on a national stage telling people, hey, we've got something brewing in Stillwater, and I am that guy. You know that clip? You're not that guy, pal. Not You're that not guy, that pal. guy. I, th- I think that game was Mike Gundy saying, I am that guy. I'll come into Columbia. I'll draw up some plays. We'll figure it out. We'll find a way to win. That was a big one for Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State. It's a big one. It's going to be on my list uh, moving forward. But not, my number seven game is actually 2010 Texas. And, again, this is 2010. I mean, we're, we're still learning. This was early in the conference slate. We're still learning about Whedon and uh, Kendall Hunter was back. And Texas was, was coming this, off a national championship game appearance. Yes, it, they were still very much Texas. But more than anything, Colby, te- as bad as Mike Gundy's history has been against Oklahoma, Texas was the team that they just could not get out of their own way to beat. I mean, they were up so many times at halftime. They were up at halftime on Vince Young with Al Pena playing quarterback. They were up 35-7 to seven in Austin. They just... The, the Jamal Charles-Colt McCoy game the year before just was like, I walked away from that 09 game going, they're never going to beat Texas. This is unbelievable. It doesn't matter how big their lead is. It's just not going to happen. And well, I will always remember the, the deep touchdown from Whedon to Blackman, one of the many. And that was the first time Mike Gundy had beaten Texas. And it, it really did feel like this 800-pound gorilla off his back because no matter what happened with Oklahoma State, they couldn't beat Texas. They go down there and do it. And it really, at that point, it looked like, hey, every option on the, on the, is on the table here as far as winning the Big 12. Yeah, that's a good one. That's an omission from my list that should be on there because for, for the reason that you mentioned, it changed the narrative about Texas, I think both inside and outside the program, where it went from we're never going to beat Texas to, oh, we just beat Texas for a decade. And a decade plus, OSU's been beating up on Texas. So, yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, I'm going to go number six. That I've one got, wasn't on the, that one wasn't on the list, was it? Nor, nor that was, that uh, one was not on Max's list. 2011 A&M wasn't either, I don't think. Uh, 2011 A&M was on Max's list. They had it number eight. Okay, that's right. Yep, so we're, yep. We're they had it number eight. Uh, number six, I've got Baylor 2013. That game being in that stadium, uh, both teams coming in, riding that high. I believe that was game day week, and Oklahoma State just let them have it. There have been some good triumphs in Boone Pickens Stadiums over good Baylor teams, and that was one of them. Uh, Boone Pick, I mean Boone Pickens Stadium, at that time, that was maybe right there with some of those 2011 games with loudest you've probably ever heard it at points during that Baylor game. That game was so much fun. It reminded me a lot of old Gallagher Iba when OSU would go on like a 20 to nothing run. Cause that's what that game was. It was a 20 to nothing run in football terms. I mean, they just blew them out of the water. The, the fumble recovery from Patman on Bryce Petty tripping on the turf monster. That place was going psychotic. It was freezing cold, but nobody cared. And game day uh, was there, or at least they were on the set after, after the game. Baylor was ranked in the top three, I believe, at the time. And Oklahoma State should have won the Big 12 championship that year. We all we don't have to go down the road of 2013 Bedlam. But that game, on its just judging that game, that should have put them in position and did put them in position to win a Big 12 championship. So I'm right there with you. Uh, number six, I've got 2008 Missouri. A lot of the reasons you mentioned. Uh, just it didn't feel like Oklahoma State at that point could – beat a top five team in Missouri. I believe what they number one or number two in that game. Yeah, they were, they were either one or two. I can't remember. Yeah. And at that point, Chase Daniel did not have a three and out that season and Oklahoma state forced a three and out very early in that game. And everyone was like, Whoa, hang on a second. And that was Kendall Hunter's emergence. He was sensational in that game. He had a really long touchdown run and really one of the, we talk about 
program changing wins. Mike Gundy has always brought that one up when he, when he, when he talks about the subject. And I think he's right to do so that that was a program changer. People started to take Oklahoma state more serious because it's easy to forget now, but like in 07, like OSU, yeah, they had Des and they could score some points, but they just, they, their defense was just non-existent. 2008, we were wondering, could they actually challenge in the, in the big 12 South? And that, that was certainly a, a case where I think Mike Gundy really caught, caught a lot of attention and, and really put Oklahoma state on the map. And I saw, I think they started getting in more doors in, in recruiting as well. Yep. I think they did too. I just looked it up by the way, Missouri was ranked number three coming into that yeah, game. So, that's right. Yep. So uh, number five for me, Carson, I've got A&M 2011. I've got a little bit higher than you do. Uh, again, some of this is probably nostalgia for me because that was my freshman year at Oklahoma state. And I just so vividly remember that football season being on campus for the first time that year. But that game was just, it was unbelievable. It was weird, right? I mean, you had Blackman with the fumble that went out the end zone. You had a bunch of things that, that had to – I mean, you had Blackman running the other way for a safety to run the clock out <laughs> at the end of the game. Like, it was just – it was a weird, weird game, but it was a game Oklahoma State had to have for them to achieve those high goals that they had. And, I, I mean, to do it in College Station made it a little extra sweet. To do it to that fan base made it a little extra sweet. So, I've got that one just cracking my top five. Yeah, that's, that's one of my – favorite memories of that season was being there for that and, and just seeing the, the exuberance on the field afterwards. Uh, number five, I've got 2013 Baylor. Uh, my dad was in the stands. He was freezing his butt off, but uh, he, he thinks that was like the most rowdy he's ever seen a, a football stadium in Stillwater. And, and for me too, like whenever we start breaking down all-time quarterbacks at Oklahoma State, Clint Chelf does, he never gets the proper respect I feel he deserves. He was awesome in that game. He even had the, he even had the, the quarterback throwback where he ran it uh, for, for a lot of yardage and a huge play in that game. But huge game. He played outstanding. He led two Big 12 championship winning drives against Oklahoma and the defense couldn't get it done. He could have won two Big 12 championships in addition to this 2013 Bedlam game. I thought it was an absolute crime that Mike Gundy didn't let him sit on the set with game day after the game. I thought he deserved that, especially when Mike benched him three series into the season for JW Walsh, which was never made any sense, still hasn't been explained. But to me, that was Clint Shelf's finest moment and one of the biggest wins in school history, no doubt. That's a great call. Clint Shelf was unbelievable. He's very underrated in Oklahoma State quarterback history. Uh, there were some good teams when Clint Shelf was there, some really good teams, and he was a big part of it. Uh, all right, now we're getting to the top four. I think we're going to have the same top four. I just don't know that it's going to be in the same order. So, for me, I, I couldn't decide what to do with the Fiesta Bowls, what order to put them in. I ended up putting the victory over Stanford at four. Um, the, the way I tried to differentiate between Stanford and Notre Dame 2011 in, into that 2012 bowl game, it just felt like it was a national championship type season. And then when the BCS broke the way it did, and we got the fun little nine to six rematch with LSU and Alabama, ended up being 21 to nothing, I think, in the national title game. It was just so deflating that it it, it shouldn't have felt this way as the Oklahoma State fan base. But the the Fiesta Bowl felt like such a consolation prize. That being said, the team got up for it, went out there, played an unbelievable second half, great job in overtime. It was an unbelievable win, one of the greatest moments in, in Oklahoma State football history. But when I was just trying to differentiate the Fiesta Bowls, I, I just had to go to the fact that in 2011, 2012, that Fiesta Bowl, it still felt like, okay, we're here, let's beat Stanford, let's beat Andrew Luck, this is a huge win, but man, would we love to be just putting the wood on LSU. So, uh, yeah, that one is, is still great, but also every time I think about it, it reminds me of how OSU got screwed by the BCS. That's one way to look at it. I, I really don't view it that way. I have it higher. Uh, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from because that was – it just didn't make any sense. Bama and LSU had already played. It just – it made no sense. But I, I have a lot more thoughts on that game and why it's so important. Uh, number four for me is last year's Bedlam game, 2021 Bedlam. Uh, more than anything, just beating Oklahoma. We, we all know that's, that's why it's on this list, but to get into their first big 12 championship game, that was huge. I mean, so many, like half the conference has been in the big 12 championship game at this point. And for some reason, Oklahoma state has not, that was huge, but more than anything, more than anything, this game had squinky written all over it. They 
drop kick Squinky right through the face in this game. You've got uh, this Darby receiver named Darby for OU catching touchdowns. You've got him thrown to a tight end they haven't thrown to all season, Stogner. Like, I cover OU. Like, these guys were non-existent. You're like, these guys is what's going to get OSU beat? You got the 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 fumble on the on the punt like it just felt like Squinky was in the building and it all changed with Brennan Presley's kickoff return touchdown and what I love most about that play it's not his return which was excellent and, and amazing and the stadium went psycho it was the kick blocking team for Oklahoma State punching OU in the face they were the tougher more physical team than OU they dominated them physically and that's something that we just don't see from an Oklahoma State team that to me won them the game special teams played a huge role but more than anything their toughness Colin Oliver crawling on his hands and knees to tackle Caleb Williams who was really good in that game but more than anything Colby to to beat Oklahoma that should have put them in position to win the Big 12 we all know what happened with Baylor but to me that was almost a Big 12 championship performance yeah, it was. That's a great one. That one's on my list uh, as well. I'll circle back with my thoughts on that. Give my number three. Again, I was trying to differentiate the Fiesta Bowls. I put the 2022 Fiesta Bowl at number three. It, it's everything that went into it, Carson. Number one, you're coming off of what was truly one of the most heartbreaking losses in school history. I mean, you are six inches from a Big 12 championship and potentially a spot in the college football playoff. I think Oklahoma State would have gotten into the college football playoff, and you can't get those six inches in the Big 12 title game. Now you're playing the Fiesta Bowl, but you draw Notre Dame. You get a big name. You get a chance to do something nationally that's going to turn heads, and Oklahoma State did that. And and Mike Gundy coming out saying, we've got a logo, too, after the game, all that. Malcolm Rodriguez having the game that he did, the interception. You know, you get the guy stripped coming across the middle at times that game very much felt like it was Notre Dame's and Oklahoma State just would not let them have it it was you know you've got the best defense in school history you really don't want to finish the season on two losses with that you want to keep that momentum going it just if Oklahoma State would have finished loss lost in the season and lost Notre Dame in the bowl game I think it would have just kind of deflated some of that momentum that you had been building all year uh Spencer Sanders what he and Casey Dunn did together in the second half I just that game was so 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 much fun uh I I just talking about those two games I want to go rewatch last year's Bedlam and last year's Fiesta Bowl before the start of this season because those were just fun games to watch yeah that was amazing that was your number four game you said uh that was my number three I had Stanford at number four okay that's right yeah so my number three is the same game I got 2022 uh Notre Dame and it's it's interesting for some reason at halftime, and I think I tweeted this at the time, I'd have to go back and, and look at it, but I was very confident at halftime, despite the score, despite everything had gone wrong, because my biggest concern in that game was the offense after watching them against Baylor. They, they moved the ball at will against Notre Dame. They just kind of slowed down in the red zone. I, I told my friends I was watching the game with, I go, I'm betting OSU in the second half. They're winning this game. They looked at me like I had three heads. Because I knew the defense, like we all had seen all season how good Jim Knowles was at halftime adjustments. It's like, the defense is going to be fine. Like, Notre Dame ain't scoring 60 on these guys. They're, they're done scoring for a while. And I think Sanders was moving the ball and, and getting protected enough. They, they really weren't pressuring Spencer at all. And that, that's another reason I had confidence, because we all know what he does sometimes under pressure with mistakes. And I, I entered the second half very confident, and they blew my confidence even out of the water. They played just sensational. And and you and I talked, we, we, we nailed this in the lead up of what it could do nationally for Oklahoma State. And we're now seeing that coming into this season with the, the respect we just really haven't seen before in the AP polls and the coaches polls and just the respect that they earned from that game. And look, it's, it's Notre Dame. I, I think they're overrated most years, but that was a good team. They had NFL talent everywhere. And uh, they, that was one of the biggest wins. Obviously, you win a Fiesta Bowl. It's going to be in my, my top four. So that's, that's what I have at number three. Yeah, that's a good one. I loved that game. Uh, number two for me, Carson, you talked about it. Last year's Bedlam, 2021, that game, and even some of the plays that you didn't mention, because this is a podcast, but we don't have four hours to sit here and just go over every play from that game that was significant. I mean, Devin Harper 
overrunning Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams takes off. He's going to get the first down. There's a good chance OU's going to go in and score with only a minute left. Who knows? OSU's defense was so good. But Devin Harper chasing him down from behind was such an unbelievable play. I still think Devin Harper is very underrated in Oklahoma State lore because he played alongside Malcolm Rodriguez. But those two, I I think, is the best linebacker combo, best linebacker duo in school history. Uh, And then Colin Oliver coming around the edge on the fourth down there late because, again, Devin Harper makes that play and the crowd starts chanting SEC with like a minute and a half left on the clock and OU's got three timeouts and I'm in the West End Zone losing my mind because I, I just know OU's going to get the ball back. I know we're going to have our hearts broken. Caleb Williams rips off a 50-yard run that looked like it could have been an 80-yarder for a touchdown and then Oklahoma State again, that defense when you needed them they were there. I mean that 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 is the the story of last season for Oklahoma State. When you needed that defense they were there for you and I just I will never forget that game, Carson. It was unbelievable, uh, and I do think I might rewatch that one before next Thursday's game. Yep, I watched it with my dad and and a friend of the pod, Matt Amillion. And uh, when the seas parted for Caleb Williams, we were sitting up in the the club level. You could just see the lane that, like, I thought he was going to score. I, I really did. I think I thought he took a bad angle and and allowed OSU to kind of pursue him, and uh, that was frightening. But uh, Squinky was slayed that night. Number two. I think, I think you and I, we obviously had the same uh, number one game. But uh, before we move on, though, real quick, Colby, OSU Max has the Notre Dame game number one. That's, they do. Uh, yeah. That, that seems a little recency bias to me. Which we can, for, we can for, t- reference, for reference, let me rattle off OSU Max's uh, top five real quick. They put the Notre Dame game at one. They had the Stanford game at two. 2011 OU, they had at three. They had 2008 Missouri at four, and then 2021 OU at five, just for reference. Yep. So a strong disagreement for me on the number one game. I, look, I, I just gushed about the Notre Dame game. I, it's huge. It's in my top three for a reason, but I, I don't think there's any way you can put that number one. Uh, my number two game is the Fiesta Bowl against Stanford. And I, I totally get where you're coming from with the disappointment. It was ludicrous. It, it made no sense. It was, it did feel in the lead up to the game as a consolation prize. And then the game happens and I'm down on the field and I see a Stanford team that looks like they have an NFL offensive line. They look like they have an NFL defensive line and they kind of bullied OSU around in the first half. That was a OSU <laughs> Uh, trailed a majority of that game and the way Oklahoma State came back and won that game in the fashion that they did with Whedon to Blackman it's just it was validation that Oklahoma State should have been in the national championship game because I, I think that Stanford team like that was a that's why the playoff is what it is now those were the by far the best four teams in the country I would have loved to have seen Stanford go up against Bama or LSU and OSU against whoever else, whatever the rankings came out to be. Because you can't convince me that Andrew Luck and OSU wouldn't have played in the next round. You can't convince me of that. Because that Stanford team was unbelievable. The way they played Oklahoma State in that game proved it. And to win that game, to further validate that they should have been in the national championship game, it is a consolation in some ways. But more than anything, it's it's justification of the season that OSU had. And just, you talk to Brandon and, and guys that were on that team, they were like, Stanford was so good. They were unbelievable. It took everything we had to win that game. And so I, I put that above the Notre Dame game for that reason. I just think they were a much, much better team than Notre Dame. Same bowl game, better team, uh, higher ranked, all of those reasons I put it above that one. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. I think that they're fairly interchangeable. I think it's very easy to, to, you know, you see what Stanford has turned into as a football program, and they've turned into a a laughingstock, a joke. Uh, You know, go there if you want to learn how to code. Don't go there to play football. But we have to remember in 2011, this team's loaded with NFL talent on both lines, you know, linebacker, secondary, all across the field. They are loaded. And, Carson, let's not forget – Andrew Luck was being touted as maybe the best quarterback prospect coming out of college football since Peyton Manning. And to go in there and win that game was huge, huge, huge for Oklahoma State. Uh, Carson, I'm thinking we've got the same number one on the list. Bedlam, 2011, your first Big 12 championship. You do it in dominating fashion against your rival. At the time, that night, as I hopped over the wall and went onto the field, uh, you think that you're probably going to be playing for a national championship. That was... 
one of the best days in school history. Still remember it like it was yesterday. It was actually the first game, Carson, that I attended with my now wife. We had just started dating uh, about a week and wow. a half before that game. What a yeah. first game. Yeah, we had just started dating about a week and a half before that game. And, uh, yeah, we wound up on the field. We, we jumped the wall together, all that good stuff. So that game has a, a very special place in my memory. How is this game not number one? Uh, how is it not number one on everybody's list, Carson? It has to be. It and, has to be. And for so long, you know, just go back the year prior, you had the – I covered the 2010 Bedlam game in Stillwater. Landry Jones throws two, like, 80-yard touchdowns to end the game when OSU had them on the ropes. It walk, Walking out of that stadium, I said out loud to anyone that would listen to myself that OSU's never beating OU. Like, it's just – it's not going to happen. Fast forward the next year, 2011, going into that game, they were the better team. Uh, we all know that, but you still have doubts. You know, th- th- this game was the slaying of lifetimes of pain and hurt for OSU football fans. When that final whistle happened and everyone rushed the field, that was, that was a generational breakthrough for everyone. Cause no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, the idea that Oklahoma State would beat Oklahoma to win the Big 12 championship on their home field, when Mike Gundy took over, that was not even a figment of people's imagination. We all know Les Miles beat Oklahoma a few times, but they weren't winning double-digit games. They weren't challenging for the Big 12. To win that game in the dominating fashion that they did, that was the only game that Brandon didn't throw a touchdown pass. They just Molly whopped them with the running game with Jeremy Smith, Joseph Randall. It was an old fashioned big eight style beating. And I thought they had done enough to get in the, the big 12 or the national championship game, but to beat Oklahoma for the, and, and this was the first time Mike Gundy had beaten Oklahoma. It just, it, it felt impossible at that point. There's no question. This is number one because it should have put them in a national championship game. First time to beat Oklahoma under Mike Gundy and first time to win the big 12 And what you mentioned just, that was the best night in OSU athletics history, in my opinion. You can talk about making it to a Final Four. You can talk about national championships in the 40s. Uh, I'm sorry. That, that to me, was the, the greatest night in OSU athletic history. Yeah, I think so, too. It was, it was unbelievable. I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I'll remember it uh, forever. That was a big, big one. So uh, that was fun going back through all those. Yeah, that was great. I, I'd like to go go watch the series. It sounds like it's really good. So people should check that out uh, on OSU Max. All right, Colby, let's get into some of our uh, season predictions here. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with the schedule, probably. Let's break it down, win-loss. Uh, let's see. I'm assuming non-conference. I'm assuming we've both got three wins in the non-con. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got three wins easily in the non-con. Although it was funny to hear Mike talk about the Central Michigan game again and how he wants that added to his resume. Sorry, Mike. Again, I went over this on the pod when it happened. Mike didn't know the rule when he called for Mason to throw it out of bounds. And so when they throw a flag that wasn't right, he he should have, as he said, he should have taken his shirt off and laid on the field when that happened, not after the game. He should have known the rule. And uh, you can't call that play and not know without a shadow of a doubt what the rule is. So, but yeah, they're three and zero getting through Central Michigan and Arizona State. And yep, Arkansas the key is blow. to uh, the key against Central Michigan is to play four quarters and then some. So uh, yeah. here's where it gets dicey. So by the way, I hate the way the schedule lays out where you play your non-con, you have a bye week, and then nine straight conference games with no bye. If you make the conference championship, that's ten weeks in a row after three cupcakes and a bye week. Week four, week five, I guess technically after the bye. At Baylor, Carson, your thoughts? Well, I picked Baylor to win the league this year, so I've got OSU losing. And and I will say, OSU has played very well in Waco. They haven't they haven't had a lot of success there, but they haven't just you know gotten destroyed in in, in Waco. They've they've played pretty well. the The Justice Hill fumble game, they they probably could have won that game. I just I'm with you. I don't like the way this schedule like and. We all remember, Colby, I brought this up last year. Mike Gundy has, what, a losing record in Big 12 openers? Five, I think he has a losing record in Big 12 openers. So they that's, struggled that's in another, Big 12 openers, yeah. That's another factor going into this. And I just think Baylor's really good, and, and no one's really 
crack the code on how to score a lot of points on Dave Aranda. So it'll be up to the de- the new and improved defense to try to, I guess, n- not new and improved, new and uh, new faces on the defense to hold their own. And I just, I think, I think it's gonna be really close. But I, I've got Baylor winning. Yeah. So I, I also think it's going to be very close. And I, I could be wrong about this. I think this is a total coin flip game. I do have Oklahoma State winning it. Uh, I have Oklahoma State finishing higher in the conference than Baylor, and I think for that to happen, they probably need to win this game. I think it's it's early in the season. You got Blake Shapin going out there. Blake Shapin in the first half last year of the Big 12 title game, I think he really surprised Oklahoma State. But then once they kind of figured out what Blake Shapin was, who Blake Shapin was, uh, kind of figured him out a little bit. So I, I'm going to be optimistic about that game. Oklahoma State I know Spencer has struggled against Dave Aranda. Whatever Dave Aranda does, whatever little potion that he has, I don't know. It's weird, but I I really hope that with another year under his belt, having struggled twice last year against Baylor, Oklahoma State's going to be coming in off the bye, which I think matters tremendously for Spencer Sanders to have that extra week to figure out what Baylor did well against him last year and figure out how to beat it. Uh, So I've actually got Oklahoma State winning that game in Waco, but I think it's very close to a coin flip. Uh, Next two, Tech at home at TCU. I've got two wins. Yeah, I do too. I think those are two programs undergoing massive shift with new head coaches and two programs Mike Gundy's had a lot of success with. I think those games will be uh, fairly comfortable wins. Uh, Yeah, all right, next one, Texas at home. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'm not as down on Texas as Stuart Mandel is, who had them winning less conference games than Kansas. (laughs) He has them going two and seven in the league, which is just asinine. It's just goofy. Uh, Just I don't know what he's doing, um, but I've got Oklahoma State. And look, this Quinn Ewers kid looks like the real deal. He's got a lot of hype. It's, it's going to take a lot more than Quinn Ewers to come to Stillwater and win on homecoming. I'm sorry. And this is before we get into the injuries Texas has sustained, before we get into the fact that they're still Texas and they're not as good as people want them want to make them to be. Uh, I will say Texas, without that interception last year um, uh, by Jason Taylor, like, that game was looking pretty strong for Texas. So I don't, I don't think this is a cakewalk by any means, but I just think, I think this is going to be going to be one of those moments where we say Spencer has figured it out. I think he's going to play really well and he's going to score enough points to beat Texas. Yeah. I, I think that Oklahoma state will have to play well to beat Texas. I don't think you'll be able to make a bunch of mistakes and beat Texas. This will be a little bit better Texas team than I think that we've seen over the last few years, but I don't think it'll be a lot better Texas team. And I do think Oklahoma state will be able to do enough defensively. I think Spencer Sanders is good enough at home in that atmosphere to win that game. So I've got Oklahoma state starting seven and zero Carson. And then I have them taking their first loss the following week in Manhattan. I think Kansas State's a good team. I think on the road, the week after you beat Texas at home, you've got Kansas coming up the following week. It just feels like a little lull, like, okay, let's just get to Manhattan and try to get this done. And for whatever reason, you, you just, man, it, it just feels weird in Manhattan. So, uh, yeah, I've got Oklahoma State losing that game. Kansas State with Adrian Martinez, they're going to try to run the ball 55 times eat the clock, shorten the game, and, and then I imagine it'll be really close with five minutes left, uh, and we'll see who can make the play. But I don't, I don't think this is a good enough Oklahoma State team to go 12-0, and so I had to find a loss or two somewhere, and I think at Kansas State might be one of them. I've got them losing in Manhattan as well, and I think Chris Kleiman's a heck of a coach. Kansas State's getting a lot of sleeper buzz. Um, <laughs> our boy Stuart Mandel picked him to win the league, <laughs> which I don't think Adrian Martinez is someone who's going to – be hoisting a a big 12 championship, but that's just, it's a tough place to play. I mean, just go through the years. Mason Rudolph had some nail biters there. They've, they've lost there several times over the years. And I just think Chris Kleiman has this team playing much better football than previous years, Kansas state teams that OSU has struggled with. And I I think that's going to be their, their second loss of the season. Um, Sad to say, but that that's, that's their second loss for me. Wow. All right. We both got that one. We both got them beating Kansas too. I'm, I'm assuming. Yep. Following week is the Kansas bye. Now it is in Lawrence, and you know sometimes you go to Lawrence and things get a little weird. The Tyreek Hill game. Uh, it's just such you're just playing in front of nobody. So hopefully Oklahoma State just is veteran enough to get up for that game, handle business. Kansas is a bad team. What about the next week at home against an Iowa State team that you know? I mean, last year was. I don't even know what to make of Iowa State, Carson. They lost talent. I don't expect them to be very good. I expect Oklahoma State to win that game. Yeah, simple as that. I mean, that's a game they've already beaten much better Iowa State teams like last year. Uh, this team doesn't isn't close to what they've been. They lost 
their heart and soul with Brees Hall and Purdy and Kolar and all those guys. And look, they're they got a good coach. Matt Campbell's a good coach, but he's got he's got too much to replace to come into Stillwater and win. Yeah, he does. Next week at OU, you go first. Oh, I went back and forth on this game. Um, the thing that stuck with me is, and look, not every season's the same. I, I grant you, not every offensive line's the same. Maybe, maybe at this point in the season, OSU's offensive line's playing outstanding. But I just, I don't like the game plans when Mike Gundy goes to Norman. Just think back to the last game Spencer was there. That was one of the more confounding, confusing game plans. And there's been a lot of those in Bedlam for Mike. Uh, the, the rain game with Rudolph comes to mind as well. I just, I need to, I, I'll have to see it to believe it, that they're going to come out with some killer instinct and, and mix it up on offense. Because that's what you have to do. Like the game in 2014, they came out throwing because they were trying to make a bowl game. Like they, they really brought it to them in that game. That's what I want to see. And until I see it, I just, I think they're going to they're gonna enter that game really tight. And uh, I, don't, I don't like the way that game shapes up at all. I'm, I got them losing again. Yeah, you know, Bedlam, I feel like it could be another squinky game, Carson. Last year it got squinky in Stillwater, but it ended up breaking Oklahoma State's way, Oklahoma State's way late. It's just I very much feel like this is going to be another Bedlam game that at the start of the fourth quarter we have no idea who's going to win. And at the halfway point of the fourth quarter we have no idea who's going to win. Now, hopefully, by a minute or two left in the game we know who's going to win. It took to until about the 22nd mark last year to figure out who was going to win. Um, I've got Oklahoma State losing this game, Carson. It, it's just – I feel like this is about a 10-2 and two team. I had to find two on there. And when you're at OU for Bedlam, I, I think it's going to be weird. I think it's going to be squinky. I think it's going to be close. But ultimately, I think OU, prob or, uh, OU yeah, probably wins a 34-31 a game, 33-31, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I think it's very close. But, yeah, I've got OU winning that one at home. Last week of the season, West Virginia at home win. They're not playing OU the last game of the year. That's going to feel weird. I understand why they do it for the, the rematch scenarios in the Big 12 title game, but it's going to be kind of weird having another game after Bedlam. Yeah, it is. It's going to be very weird. Hopefully uh, that doesn't throw off the team because it's your body clock is just kind of set. Thanksgiving, OU, so that'll be a little different this year. Well, I think it's a good thing. I, I've, I've never – like I, I love having it the last game. She has something to look forward to, but it seems like OSU always has a major injury heading into that game. It's, it's kind of – I think it almost puts more pressure on that game for Mike and the team. I kind of like having a game afterwards. So uh, I like that they're playing West Virginia. It's a good home finish. Uh, I think it's a game they should win comfortably at home against West Virginia. So I got them going nine and three. Yep. Okay. So you've got nine and three. I've got 10 and two. Uh, the one where we're uh, we've got them both losing to Kansas state. No, you, the one where we differ is at Baylor. So I, I do feel like though, Carson, this team just has 10 and two vibes to me. Uh, so I think if they were to lose to Baylor earlier in the season, then I'd think, okay, maybe they got that out of the way, learn from that. Maybe they beat Kansas state or OU. So one way or another, depending on how it breaks, I think we wind up 10 and two. Yep. I think that's, uh, certainly possible. I think a game that, um, we just glossed over Arizona State. I don't know how good they are. Uh, that's a game that could be more trouble than maybe we think. I don't think it will be. But uh, the, the K-State game for me is where the entire season swings. I think that's that and the Texas game right there jammed in the middle. Uh, Baylor, who knows what happens. But even if you lose that game, I think the I'm, I'm circling in Sharpie the Texas home game and, and at K-State. And then I think you can, you can uh, have a really, really good season after, after those two. Yeah, I like that one. All right, give me your uh, give me your Big Twelve. I've got Baylor one. I've got Oklahoma two. I think I think Oklahoma goes ten two. That's uh, and look, I I get they were they're replacing their head coach. I think Brent Venables is is going to do a good job. I think he hired a really good offensive coordinator that people just aren't talking about. Jeff Lebby, if Lane Kiffin had left Ole Miss, he might have gotten the Ole Miss head coaching job. He's one of the best OCs in the country. They still have talent on that side of the ball. That, it's, it's crazy, like, OSU, OU fans were losing their minds and they still won 11 games last year, and they just beat the pants off of, of, of Oregon in the bowl game. Like, they're, they've still got talent, and I think they're going to be much better defensively. I don't, I'm not one of those people that thinks that, that Lincoln was just quitting on the team after, like, during the Baylor game. Like, I don't think that happened. I think he built a soft program, and they got exposed by a tough program in Baylor and a tough program in Oklahoma State. I don't, I don't buy the – that he was coaching with his hands tied behind his back. I don't buy that at all, but I do buy that they have talent and I think they're going to be better on defense. And that's something that's going to give them a lot of trouble uh, in Norman. And I will say like 
Dylan Gabriel's a good quarterback. Like, he is. He played really well at Central Florida. And it was a good get for them since they had nobody with, with Williams leaving. But are we, are we sure he's, like, Big 12 championship caliber, Colby? Because I'm not. I, I think we might get into the season and realize that they're not nearly as explosive on offense and that he's simply just not – he's a good quarterback, maybe – Maybe right there with Spencer, maybe maybe below Spencer, in fact, is, is how I would kind of – I think if that happens, well, then I think Oklahoma State can get to Jerry World. But I, I kind of think they'll be able to figure it out offensively. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be a good player. I don't know because, again, you're transferring uh, from a lower level to a higher level. I do think the familiarity with new offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby will help. I, I think that OU is going to have a good offense. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be a good quarterback. Uh, and, Carson, I actually, for the first time, think that we're going to get a Bedlam Big 12 championship game. I've told you. I've said it all summer. I think this is going to be the best defensive line. Last year, Oklahoma State had the best linebackers in school history. I think this will be the best defensive line in school history for Oklahoma State. Brock Martin, Colin Oliver, Brendan Evers, uh, Sione Asi, uh, who else? I'm, I'm forgetting that. Tyler Lacey, Trace Ford. I mean, th- those are dudes on the defensive line. I think that unit will carry Oklahoma State. I've got Oklahoma State winning the Big 12 at 10-2. and two. I've got OU 10-2 and two as well at number two. And I've got Baylor going 9-3, and three, uh, coming in third in the Big 12. Uh, past that, I've got Kansas State and Texas at 4-5. So uh, I've got Bedlam in Jerry's world, Carson, which we haven't gotten it yet. I, I can't believe we haven't gotten it yet. Been easily easily the two best teams in the conference since the uh, Big 12 championship game was re-implemented. And one thing or another always happens uh, late in the year where they end up not playing for the Big 12 championship. This year, I think it finally happens. Did OSU win in that game? Good question. That's a really good question. We only did 12, Carson. We didn't go to 13. I don't think I have to pick a 13th. We can revisit that uh, uh, when, it, when it happens. Uh, yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm, I might look back on my predictions and, and feel I gave Baylor too much credit. Um, I just – they showed me a lot. I think I, think, I think Aranda's a really good head coach, and, and OSU has to go to Waco. That was kind of my, my determination on that. And so, I mean, OU's got a tough schedule too, but – that's just kind of the way I fell on it. But I, you could certainly be right, and I, and I hope you are. Uh, yeah, no, I think that he's a great coach too, Dave Aranda. I just I, – I couldn't get there on them doing it two years in a row. They lost a lot on the defensive side. Young quarterback, uh, first full season under the helm. I just – I have – I find it hard-pressed uh, to find that young quarterback first time through, uh, coming through and topping Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. What about uh, players of the year in the conference, Carson? Offensive player of the year, I, I've got B. John Robinson. That's a good one. I do wonder if Texas goes seven and five, eight and four, if he's capable of winning that. Um, but I, I do think this shapes up to be a season where the offensive player of the year doesn't necessarily come from the team that ultimately wins the conference because it is such a tight race with the, the top three. Uh, my, my player of the year is going to be – I didn't think about the Big 12 offensive player of the year. I was just thinking Oklahoma State. Uh, how about this? I'll go Spencer Sanders. I, I think I think because because look, even though I didn't pick them to get to Jerry World, I think he's going to have a great season statistically. I don't think Shapin nor Dylan Gabriel's numbers will be as eye popping. I think Gabriel will be a. I think OU's going to run the ball a lot more than they have. Lebby is a run first 60-40 type guy. It's not going to be the Lincoln Riley offense where no matter who the OU quarterback is, they're putting up video game numbers. I, I just don't see that. So I'll, I'll go Spencer. Uh, yeah, I like it. That's, I mean, hey, sounds like you were OSU focused. Why not? Why not, Spencer? Uh, defensive player of the year, Carson, I, I narrowed it down to four. Uh, on my list, I had Colin Oliver. I had Dante Stills from West Virginia. I had Travius uh, Hodges Tomlinson from TCU. Everybody loves, you know, if he gets a big interception season, everybody loves the stats that you can see when you're devoting, voting for defensive player of the year. Uh, and then I also had Felix and Aduke Uzoma from Kansas State on the defensive line. Uh, I decided to go Homer and go Colin Oliver. I, I think he's trying to set sack records. And again, voters look for stats that they can grab onto. And if Colin Oliver finishes the season with 15 sacks, that is a concrete number that you can look at and say, boom, that guy. So I'm going to go Colin Oliver, Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to go with Siaki Ika from Baylor. I don't have to remind OSU fans okay. who that yep. guy is. I mean, uh, look, he's not going to have the numbers 
I think it's going to be an Indomitian Sioux situation where everyone recognizes that's like the best player on the field in a lot of big games. I think he's going to wreck, wreak havoc on OSU's offensive line, Oklahoma's, and, and really everyone he plays to where it'll be, especially if I have a Baylor win in the Big 12 or in position to do so, I, I think it'll be someone from, from their defense with, with Dave Aranda at the helm. So I'm going with the big, uh, the big fella in the middle. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one. So, uh, coach of the year, Carson, Mike Gundy, reigning coach of the year. It was his second time. He won it in 2010 and 2021. Uh, I'm assuming since you don't have Oklahoma State winning the conference, you've got a new coach of the year this year? Yeah, and they always – every coach of the year award, I was impressed they gave it to Mike, although, you know, it, it falls under this line of thinking that they never give it to, like, the best team like the team that's the best in the conference. They always give it to like a team that, ah, we didn't think they're going to be as good and they won eight games. Let's give it to this guy. So I think, I think Chris Kleiman out of Kansas state will win it. I think they'll, they'll win eight, nine games and he'll be the, the new, uh, the new savior in, in the little apple up there in Manhattan. So I'm gonna go Chris Kleiman. Yeah, you certainly could be right. I, I do feel like uh, it's on, honestly, it's sometimes whatever you reach above expectation, right? You know, if you're supposed to win 11 and you win 11, you know, maybe you don't get it. I think Bill Belichick in his career has won coach of the year like three times, which is a joke. You're telling me over the last 22, 23 years, Bill Belichick's been the best coach in the NFL three times. What a, I mean, that's a disaster. But that being said, I picked Oklahoma State to win the conference again, Carson. And I'm picking Oklahoma State to win the conference again after losing Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper and Colby Harvell Peel and Trey Sterling and Christian Holmes and Trey Martin and Jalen Warren. All these guys, I'm picking Oklahoma State to still win the conference. How can I not pick Mike Gundy to win another coach of the year? I mean, if they go out and they make it to Jerry's world again, I think he's got a great chance uh, to bring home that hardware again. So I'm going to go Mike Gundy. I, I think that would make 16 years uh, of him coaching at Oklahoma State with one Big 12 Coach of the Year award and then back-to-back in the years after that. But uh, I think it could happen, and I think it's a sign of where this program is and where this program's headed under a rejuvenated Mike Gundy. Homer. Maybe. Just Maybe. I don't no, know. I'm it's... feeling good, Carson. I'm feeling good. It's been a good off season. Oh, look, I, I get it. There's, I mean, they're, they're ranked 13th in the country. So it's, it's not like you're going out on some limb as a fan here. I mean, they, they certainly could go, go to Jerry world and win it. And Mike, if that happens, I think Mike will win uh, coach of the year. And, and look, the, the top three, it's, it's going to come down to that three game round Robin of those, of those three. It just, it just is. So whoever emerges from that, it's, it's going to be, and I guess it's more of a round Robin since there's a rematch too. So it, uh, you can almost flip a coin at this point, who's going to win the big 12 and, and, and just take your pick. So I don't think that's crazy at all. And, uh, we should have a fun season of podcasts if that happens. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, newcomers, Carson, you want to do offense or defense newcomers? You start this time. Yeah, let's go. Um, I'll go defense first. And I am so intrigued by Kendall Daniels. At safety. I mean, he just, we all know uh, his the story. Kid, right? Yeah. We all know his story he was committed to A&M just looks like an sec player playing safety. I am a little concerned though, with Mike saying that he doesn't quite, he, he compared him to wild thing on the movie major league. Like he, he throws some heat, but doesn't always know where it's going all the time. He doesn't know where he's going all the time. That concerns me as a safety. So I'm going to go a different route and say, I'm going with Xavier Benson, the linebacker at Oklahoma state Juco transfer started his career at uh, Texas tech. I've heard a lot of rave reviews about him. He's wearing number one, which is always awesome for a linebacker, but someone's going to have to step up. And I think for Oklahoma State to have a successful season on defense, I think Benson's going to have to be the guy in the middle, making a bunch of tackles, getting teams off the field on third down, which was so crucial to OSU success last year. So I think, I think Xavier Benson might win newcomer of the year in the Big 12 on defense. That's, so he's going he's gonna to be my OSU one as well. Okay. Yep, I like that one. Uh, defensively, Carson – I've had my eye on this guy since the Notre Dame game. And then Mike Gundy said something uh, late last week, early this week, that, that reminded me about him, kind of made me perk up about him again. And that's Jabbar Muhammad at corner. I feel like Jabbar Muhammad, he, he just, man, he was so good at the end of last year. And it just has the makings of a breakout season, right? Like Oklahoma State needs somebody at that position. I mean, the guys listed on the depth chart at corner are Corey Black, Jordan Reagan, Jabbar Muhammad, and DeMarco Jones. Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy, Derek Mason, they need somebody to be the guy on the edge. I think Jabbar Muhammad's that guy. I think it could be a big breakout season, a burst onto the scene type season uh, for Jabbar Muhammad, I think is what I called it on the, uh, 
on, on Twitter yesterday. So I'm looking at Jabbar Muhammad as the newcomer for Oklahoma State. He's not a freshman. I'm not, I didn't go freshman offensively or defensively. Uh, maybe breakout player of the year would be a better way to put it. But I've got Jabbar Muhammad on the defensive side. Oh, I love that. I thought him and Corey Black were sensational at corner filling in there at the end of last year. Played great in the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, it really gave me a lot of confidence in, in the corner position coming into this year. I think that's a great pick, and I think he can really vie for, for all Big 12 honors. I really do. Him and Black, really. They're, they're both really good young players. Hopefully they stay healthy. Uh, on offense, I'm going with my boy, Ollie Gordon. I think people are catching on that this dude is, is different. I think I think Mike's done a pretty good job of of tempering expectations for him because, look, if, if Mike comes out and says like this dude's one of the best we've we've recruited, then that gets beamed everywhere and expect. I think he's doing a really good job protecting him from expectations, but uh, he knows what he has. I've talked to people up there. This guy's special, and I'm not sitting here saying he's going to rush for a thousand yards or even be the starter. But you're going to get to know the name Ollie Gordon, and he's going to be really, really good at running back. And uh, I, I haven't – I don't remember hearing this many good things about a freshman running back since Kendall Hunter. I mean, I remember Kendall Hunter wasn't a big recruit. He was a late ad. He was, at, he was committed to TCU. He was only like a three-star. But I just kept hearing, this dude, Kendall Hunter, just – we can't tackle the guy. Like, he's, he's unbelievable. This is – you know, he's a freshman. And then you see him in that Nebraska game in 07. He's, he's – getting like 12 yards a carry and they eventually like we got to play this guy he's just too good I'm hearing I'm hearing similar things about Ollie Gordon I think he's gonna have a really good year yeah I, I actually Ollie Gordon was my first thought but I knew you were gonna go Ollie Gordon you've been an Ollie Gordon guy from the jump so I was like I'm gonna back off I'm gonna let Carson have Ollie Gordon all to himself uh, I'm gonna go again this is kind of breakout and it's not a freshman it's a guy who got a little bit of run last year but Carson I think Jaden Bray is set to make a leap at receiver for Oklahoma State into that kind of that, – that different level of Oklahoma State receiver. I, I think you need somebody to fill Tay Martin's shoes from a year ago, and I think Jaden Bray very well may be that guy. He got some pretty decent run last year as a true freshman, uh, kid out of Norman, and 6'2", 200 is what he's listed on the depth chart. I just think Jaden Bray has all the makings uh, of that big-time number one receiver on the outside, and I think he and Brennan Presley could be a good one-two combo. Uh, so I think Jaden Bray is set for a big breakout year that we're going to be looking at him saying, wow, th this, is, this is the guy. A couple more years of, of just an, a great receiver on the outside for Oklahoma State. I think for OSU to win the Big 12, him or Presley, or maybe both, but let's say one of them has to make first team all Big 12. That, that would mean that they found a, a number one that, that put up the numbers to, to go ahead and win a, a Big 12 championship. So I, I think he's a great candidate along with, along with Presley on the first team, all Big 12. But, yeah, I mean, Bray's just a, a physical freak and still learning the game of football, so that he has really untapped uh, potential. I, I wanted to go with my, my boy Braylon Presley, who I've said is the best high school football player I've covered. Um, but Mike didn't even put him on the two deep. I think, I think he's our secret weapon, Colby. I think – you know, there was talk about putting both Presley boys back there on kickoff, and he wasn't listed on the two deep. I think just like he's kind of hiding Ollie Gordon a little bit, I think he's really hiding Braylon. I think Braylon could sneak up and, and get some carries out of the backfield, some swing passes, and, and be more – be a little bit – have a bit more of a role than, than we're led to believe based on the, the depth chart that was released. Uh, I, I think so, too, because I kind of wanted to go Braylon, and then I look at the, press chart, uh, the, uh, the depth chart, no Braylon. So how, how can I go Braylon if he's not on the depth chart? So maybe you're right. Maybe he's just hiding him. They can't tackle him, Colby, in practice. They literally can't tackle the guy. So, like, when I mentioned the Iowa dude whose gold pants would be brown, like, that would happen if they played Iowa. Like, Bray, Braylon Presley's just – he's so little, so quick, so fast that the way football's played now, basketball on grass, like, I think he's going to – he may not play right away – but eventually he's getting on the field, and if he gets the ball, look out. I think he's going to surprise a lot of Big 12 defenses this year. I hope you're right. Maybe that'll be another thing whenever Squinky tries to come up. We can have two Presleys back there for kick returns. Well, I was going to ask you, like, does Squinky exist if you play OU twice in the same season? Like, does he fade away for after you play the first time? or does he? Great question. Kinda... Also, if you have two Presleys, does that offset one Squinky? I'm not sure how the math works there. Well, they've had a lot of Woods brothers. That didn't seem to help those years. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Wallace bros. Um, and now they got the, uh, 
the Shetrons and the Greens. They got yeah. twin factory there at OSU. Yeah. I was talking to Donovan Woods the other day, by the way, and I'm a little disappointed. I don't, uh, I don't get out for a ton of high school football, but Donovan is the defensive coordinator at Millwood now. They play Heritage Hall week one. And Millwood Heritage Hall is going to be an awesome high school football game. It's on Thursday, September 1st. Oh, dang. That's I'm a little salty about it. I'd like to go to both. I'd like to do uh, a little Stillwater and Millwood Heritage Hall action, but I will be in Stillwater. Yeah, that's brutal. But that's the price you pay playing on Thursdays instead of uh, on Saturdays. So. Yep. Anything else we need to hit before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. We'll be back next week. It will officially be game week uh, whenever we turn the calendar. And we'll preview a little OSU Central Michigan. Everybody have a good weekend. Uh, tweet us at Colby J. Powell. What is yours now? At Carson OKC? Carson underscore OKC is the Twitter handle. At Carson underscore OKC. Uh, let us know if there were any in the uh, OSU Max Top 15 that you think they forgot about or you think we forgot about. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend. Go Pokes.